This video emphasizes our church-wide emphasis for the year 2020 is going to be the year of prayer. Last year we emphasized the Word, and we look forward to worshiping with you, to teaching with you about prayer and experiencing prayer together. We'll kick that off with a sermon series next week uh, on John 17, where you see Jesus himself praying and talking to his Father, so you can read ahead for next week if you want to, and the following week. But today we're going to be in Matthew 6, where Jesus gives what we call the Lord's Prayer. That's in Matthew 6. Let me pray with you for our time together. Let's pray. God, thank you for being among your people. It's great to stand and worship you with your people in one spirit, one body, one Lord, one baptism. Thank you, God, for such a gift of worship. And now I pray you speak to us. Give us something we can hold on from your word. Give us something we can grab. And God, change us, mold us, transform us through the preaching of your word in this moment. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday season. That's gone. Now it's back to real life for many of us. But I did get you all a late Christmas gift. I'm going to put it on the board behind me, hopefully. This is, if you can see it, what is called the texting mitt. It is for all of you. Teenagers, you can Snapchat outside and your hands won't get cold. You see it has a clear plastic thing over the mittens. Parents, if your kid has a ball game, you can sit out there in your chair and watch them. Grandparents, you can text all your grandkids by wearing the texting mitt. <laughs> There's one under your seat for all of you. <laughs> Don't look, that's a joke. But I saw that for the first time online this week, and I thought, man, when we have a texting mitt, this shows how much we yearn to connect. To be human is to want to connect to another. And that really is the essence of prayer, is connecting to God, reaching out to him, communing. With him, As I said, this year is going to be the year of prayer at TCC. In light of that, here's some stats from the Bible on prayer. Did you know that there are approximately 650 prayers listed in the scriptures? They're there for you. Approximately 450 recorded answers to prayer. God answers prayer. Jesus prays, according to the Bible, where it's recorded, 25 different times in the short little portion of his life that we have in the gospel. We see him praying 25 different times. Paul mentions prayer 41 times. It's all over the scriptures because God wants to draw you to himself through this experience that we call prayer. Today, our context in Matthew 6 is from the famous Sermon on the Mount. As the video mentioned, 
in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, you have the disciples coming to Jesus saying, teach us how to pray. In Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, it's a little different. Jesus is teaching and he says, all right, I want you to pray then like this. Pray then like this. So as we kick off today, a year emphasizing prayer, I just want to have a few simple encouragements from the Lord's Prayer for you. Hopefully something will stick out. You can latch on to it. And you can use it in your own prayer life. So here's some encouragements from Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Here's the first one. Grab a hand. Look how the prayer begins in verse 9. Our Father in heaven. It's easy to skip over the first word, isn't it? Our Father. That's the plural. It's so strange because Jesus is teaching people using a model. It's like he's saying, okay, you're going to pray to God? Do it just like this. And then he says, our Father. It's almost like a wedding ceremony here. I've done a few, and in them there are always vows. Sometimes people write their own. At other times, people want the traditional vows. The traditional vows go like this. If I'm the officiant, I would say, repeat after me. I, John, take you, Amy. And then John the groom would say, I, John, take you, Amy, very nervously. And then we would continue on. But it would be really weird if I would say, okay, repeat after me. We both take Amy to be our wife. You'd be like, whoa, hands might get thrown. It would be very awkward. Why? Because we understand that marriage is meant to be more individualistic. One woman, one man, no outsiders are getting married here. That's why it's so strange when Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to pray. He begins with our Pray with our. What is up with that? Well, here's the deal. Jesus decides to begin with corporate prayer. He's emphasizing that prayer is designed to be done in groups. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't against quiet time. We see Jesus going off alone and praying as an individual, but it is striking here. When Jesus says, I'm going to teach you about prayer, and he begins, do this, our Father. It's almost like if you were at the dinner table with your kids and you're sitting there eating, one of your kids says, uh, can you teach me how to pray? You would probably say, well, one way is uh, make sure uh, every night you bow down and you thank God for your blessings and you ask for forgiveness for things, you confess your sin. You would probably be thinking on an individual level. But Jesus is thinking about us as a community Corporate prayer, grabbing a hand, huddling up, praying with a group of believers because doing this emphasizes some aspects of the gospel that are harder to catch when it's a one-on-one prayer. Think about this. When our Father adopted you in Christ, He adopted you into a family, right? Group prayer reminds you that you're in a family. When Jesus ascended, he didn't leave you alone. He left you the Holy Spirit. Praying with others shows you this. 
Through Jesus' death, you were granted the privilege to reign with him forever and ever in a new heaven and a new earth with other believers. Together prayer reminds you of that together reign. There's a blessing to be had praying with our, with others. Ask yourself this. Now, Jesus in this context was, was talking to his disciples, not just about praying for family, but praying with everyone. Ask yourself this. Outside of your family, what's the ratio of your one-on-one prayers with God and your prayers with other believers? Look back at 19. What's your ratio there? And are you happy with it? Have you missed an opportunity? Have you taken advantage of all the chances to go to a sister and pray with her, to go to a brother and reach out to him and say, I just want to pray for you. I know you're going through something hard. Let me just pray. And you pray together. That's my first very simple encouragement. This year, in the year of prayer, find a group to pray with regularly. Grab a hand. Pray together. Second, second encouragement, your father is near. Same verse, your father is near. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. Here's something, you may never thought about this. Again, it's pretty simple. How hard is it to talk to someone not in this room without technology? Pretty challenging. I spent Christmas in Tennessee, saw my mom, loved my mom, but if I yell for my mom right now without technology, she's not going to answer. And she would answer. She's a good mom, but she's not going to answer without technology. It's even hard when you do have technology. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if you're here, but we we Skyped in, we FaceTimed in with the Chilton's who were in Taiwan. And I had to practice that three days ahead of time. And you didn't see this, but just before we threw them up, the call dropped and we had to call them back in a rush. It's hard to communicate even with technology. Why is Jesus asking you to call out to God without technology? It's because he's near. He's here. He's present. So you don't need fanciful technology to call out to God because he's here. He's here spatially because God as a spirit is everywhere, but he's also here relationally because he's your father. He is your father and he's emphasizing this in this text. It's interesting in the Old Testament, you don't see a lot of people calling out to God as father. In fact, I couldn't find any. You didn't talk about God like that. You might use an analogy about God as Father, but you don't see a lot of examples of Old Testament saints calling out saying, Father, Jesus kind of started that. The Jesus thing. And when he did it, it was controversial. Why? Because we think of God as transcendent. Jesus said, yes, but he's also my Abba. Elsewhere in the scriptures, they'll call God his Father, Abba, Baba, Papa, Daddy, He's using intimate, close, caring, nurturing language because he knows his father is near and dear. 
controversial comedian Kevin Hart is one of the top grossing entertainers in the world today. And I saw, like a lot of celebrities and famous people, Kevin Hart travels around the world with a posse of sorts. He's got an entourage, calls them the Red Cup Boys because they're always drinking from Red Cups. And it was interesting, he said recently, you know, I have these guys around me, they support me emotionally, and I support them financially, it's the way it works. And we all have one thing in common. You know what it was? Distant fathers. One of them's dad ran off when he was young, the other one strung out on dope, the other one got shot, died, on and on down the line, throughout his whole entire entourage. Here you have these worldly successful men And they're meeting together regularly because there's a yearning in their heart to be near their father. You may feel that too. Maybe your father passed away when you were young. Maybe he ran off. Maybe he just wasn't there. Maybe like me, your father died when you were more of an adult. You miss him. One of the glorious things about Christianity is you have a father present. You can experience him in prayer. So take hope through the work of Christ. Jesus has taken two who were separated and made them come together. A stranger and God have come together through the work of Jesus Christ. You once were an alien, you're now a son or a daughter to a wonderful, perfect father. Not like human fathers. I don't know if you saw it like I did last week, but millions of people were shocked as they saw a video released of Pope Francis. See that? Not a great look for Pope Francis last week. If you don't know, Pope Francis is the leader of the worldwide Catholic Church. And on New Year's Eve, he comes out each year and he greets children and pilgrims outside the Vatican. And Pope Francis was out there. He's an elderly gentleman And he was greeting people, and it's just like a Hollywood scene. He shakes people's hand on down the line, big crowd. He blesses them, he shakes. And when he got to where he was done, he turns away, and one of these pilgrims grabbed him and pulled him back. So he almost lost his balance, and now he's stuck, you can tell, in one of those awkward handshakes where one person wants to keep shaking, but the Pope does not want to keep shaking. And you can see his face turn in the video. And finally, he lays down two smacks. Smacks the woman, chastising her on the hand. Security moves in, and he walks away with this pouty, angry face. Why? Because he's a human. That's a human response. It's not a divine response. Pope in Latin means father. But that response is a far cry from what you will get if today you turn to God in prayer. God will hear you. He will not pull away from you. He is not too busy for you. He's not too frail to hear from you today. He will not smack your hand. He's not angry with you. God is not angry with you. He wants to hear from you as a good and perfect Father. So again, that's another simple encouragement as you seek to pray this year from the Lord's Prayer. Let me encourage you. In prayer, your Father is near. 
Here's the third one. Still in verse 9. We may stay in verse 9 the whole time. One verse sermon. Doesn't mean it's short, though. Here's your third encouragement. I just said your father is near. Your father is not only near. Okay? Your father is not only near. Read the verse again. Our father in heaven. Right? Now note the glorious contrast in God. Only he can pull this off. Only he can be intimately near as father and yet in a special way be in heaven ruling over the entire cosmos. Jesus wants you to remember that this year as you're talking to God. Remind yourself that he is in heaven. He's governing. He's managing all things for his purposes so that he will be glorified one day even while he's coming near to you in prayer. It's glorious that he can pull that off. He does it. He's far from the ways of man. Yesterday I was at a basketball game for my kids. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Someone might say, oh, you're praying about a basketball game? God has far more important things to do. You've heard that. What's implicit in that statement? It is that God can't handle being near you in your hobbies and also take care of the rest of the world. No, he can't. Jesus says he can't. Your God can be near to you and yet ruling from heaven. In fact, this gets at one of the chief challenges as an earthly dad, as a father. One of the huge challenges that we have are maintaining kind of big picture things like let's keep the finances and the estate in order. Let's make sure my career is going in the right direction. They make sure I have time for my wife and then also be present with my kids. No earthly father can do that perfectly. It's hard. But God does. God does it perfectly. He doesn't have to sacrifice big career goals for time. With the, he doesn't have to do that. He can do both at the same time, which makes him so glorious. He doesn't feel that pull that humanly fathers do. He swallows it up because he's a great, magnificent, glorious God. So be encouraged this year that the God you intimately relate to is ruling well from heaven. Your father's not only near, for live like you were dying. Live like you were dying. That's not in the Lord's prayer. You're smuggling that in. No, no, no. Stay with me. I think we misunderstand this part a little bit. Look at verse 9. Again, the last part. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not the normal word we use outside of Halloween, but it's the verbal form of holy. It means to be holy. We are to pray to God saying, holy be your name. God, holy be your name. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, name is how God reveals himself. It's his characteristics, how he expresses himself. It is his essence. So basically, Jesus is saying, pray like this. God, you be holy. Be holy, God. That's a strange request, right? What does it mean to pray to God, be holy? Well, it 
can't be encouraging God to grow in holiness, right? We know he's fully holy. Isaiah, in chapter 6, experiences God with the created angels saying, holy, holy, holy. He gets so near that he shrivels up and he says, ah, my lips are unclean. I'm not worthy to be here. No, God is fully holy. So what does Jesus mean when he says to you, pray, God, be holy? Here's what one writer says. Don Carson says this. We should pray that God is treated as holy, that God is not despised by the thoughts and conduct of those created in his image. So we respond to God as if we see and know and remember his holiness. Well, how do we do that? Well, it all starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. For at the cross, we see God's righteousness on full display and we should see our unrighteousness. We should see our sin. Where he is perfect, we see where we are not. A right understanding of the death and resurrection of Jesus will remind us that we can't save ourselves. We're not holy enough. Our effort won't cut it. Religious works of ours will fall short. Our relational connections in this world prove ineffective in getting us any closer to God. Our power shrivels in the face of God's holiness. Here, we must see Jesus. Jesus bridges that gap because he is fully righteous himself. He dies for us as a God-man so that he can be righteous in our place so that we can approach God as holy. Only his true righteousness appeases God's wrath. Only God's spirit can recreate you in the image of the true Adam. And it's only after being reborn that you can say, I now joyfully see a gloriously holy God. So I pray, be holy. May you be treated as your holiness deserves. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, we should respond to the gospel as such. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship. Elsewhere, both Paul and Jesus will advocate for this dying to self in order to live to Christ. That's how you treat God as if he's holy. You die to your natural desires and seek to delight in his supernatural holiness and glory. You see yourself as being created and recreated in his image and you live your life pursuing his holy ways over your own. John the Baptist said it like this. He must increase and I must decrease. So that's my encouragement this year. As you pursue God in prayer, I encourage you to live like you were dying to yourself and become alive to God in Christ. Here's another one, fifth one. Your prayer life is not all about you. Your life is not all about you. Jesus says, pray like this then. Verse 10, your kingdom come, he's speaking to God, 
God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus knows the one sure mark of being a disciple of Christ is you realize life is not all about you. Jesus himself, if you read John's gospel, he refers to himself. He identifies as one doing the will of someone else. One doing the will, sent to do the will of the Father. He models this. In other words, we must pray this year as if we believe we are characters in the story, but not the main character. Jesus Christ is the main character in God's story. Must pray for his kingdom, his will. Al Mola remarks here like this. He says, in praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we're subverting the authority of the powers and principalities of this world praying that history would be brought to a close and that all nations rejoice in the glory of God and that every knee and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're included in that, but that's a much bigger prayer than just you. God, your kingdom come. Andrew Wilson puts it this way in his own words. He prays, one day all the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdom of God and his Messiah. In the meantime, as we wait for you, God, to gather up all your enemies and turn them into your footstool, we cry to you, let your reign be shown here as well, dethrone the powers, overturn empire, destroy everything that opposes you, rule everywhere. God, rule everywhere. That's a big vision for prayer. That's my encouragement. Pray then like this, brothers and sisters. It's not all about you. Number six. But your prayer life is about you, okay? It's not all about you, but your prayer life is about you. You're not the main character in God's story of your life, but you are a character. In other words, You can only experience God through your encounter with his spirit. It's amazing that after urging us to focus on big kingdom issues, Jesus, in verse 11, comes down gently to your circumstances and says, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. There he goes with the hour again, did you see it? Give us this day our daily bread bread. He knows that you will experience him through life's circumstances, through your hurt, through your joy, through your sports, through your exercise, through your art, through your music, through your loss, through your abuse, through your suffering. Jesus knows you have needs and he simply advocates, call out to God as Father. Call to him about your money. Call to him about your health. Man, true story. Over the break, call and ask some guys to come over for New Year's. One guy says, well, I can't come for this reason. And, and pray for my son. He's got the, the flu that's going around. I think I'm going to have to take him to the hospital, get IV treatment. Son's okay now. But somebody did end up coming over. And he said, man, pray for my daughter. She just woke up sick, vomiting everywhere. Man. 
contact another family, and they said, yeah, we all got the flu. I'm like, man. And my five-year-old, not my 16-year-old, but my five-year-old sits in my lap, says, ah, I got this tummy ache. Pop, I got this tummy ache. I said, oh, you're going to vomit? Go see your sister. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I did look over there, and sissy's on the couch. She's sick, laid out. Mom comes home at 4 p.m. and she's fighting sleep the whole day until 8 a.m. the next day. Son twists his ankle. I start feeling sick. In those moments, I call out to God about my family, things that are dear to me. It's an amazing thing about Jesus. He says, when you pray, pray for the whole kingdom. Also, pray for your family. My will be done on this big picture level also. Got a runny nose? (laughs) Pray for that. You can talk to God about that. It's not too small. It's not too insignificant. Hopefully you see the balance there. There's nothing like sickness to show you that you need to be rescued, right? Turn to God about the things you care about most. But in your turning, make sure you recall foundational truth. Think about when you're sick. And you pray. Or you're praying for somebody else who's sick. You can remember a very foundational thing. First off, you're needy. That's a biblical truth. The gospel teaches you you're needy. Self-sufficiency is not a virtue, okay? This world is cracked and splintered and broken. Christ is rescuer. Your bodies need to be renewed along with your souls. Your destiny is not for this world, but it's a world to come. All of those you can experience while communing with God when you're sick or when the baby's sick or when you're troubled. Don't miss that chance. Preacher Dustin Ben shares these things to pray about with your family in 220. I saw this on Twitter. Thought I'd share it. He says, pray this. Pray for your family. Jesus would be their joy. Love would be their language. Mercy would be their attitude. Faithfulness would be their aim. Truth would be their drive. Gentleness would be their actions. And glory would be their goal. It's a good place to pray. Pray for your family. Here's my encouragement. Pray about what's most important to you. Your prayer life is about you. Here's the seventh one. From verse 12. Release your prisoners. Verse 12, Jesus says this. Pray then like this. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 12, one of those verses when Jesus is going to give it to you straight. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has made it clear. To know me is to respond in love to others, okay? To know Christ is to love other people. So here in verse 12, he uses wordplay to make a striking point. If you claim to have experienced the vast embrace of Christ's forgiveness, yet you can't forgive those who wronged you, you need a reality check. That's Jesus, not me. That's verse 12. Now wait a minute. Does this mean God doesn't demand repentance if somebody does something wrong? Certainly he does. Does this mean that God's justice shouldn't be setting consequences in place for a wrongdoer? Justice must be served. But the heart of this text 
is a heart check for you. Are you willing to forgive as you have been forgiven by God? John Stott says this, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If on the one hand we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Right? So many of us within our emotional selves want to hold captive those who have done wrong. We want to put them in a torture chamber, hold them there. Every once in a while, we come on this bloodlust, come out with a whip so we can metaphorically whip them in our imagination. Not to death, we want them to stay there so that the next time they'll be alive when we come back and we're ready to torture that person again because we don't want to forgive them. That's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel, Jesus enters into your emotional self. There's still going to be a bloodletting, but this time it's his own. This time it's the offended that's bleeding. It's Jesus Christ who has taken the punishment for your wrongdoing against God in his own body. And Jesus stands willing to forgive all who repent we need to also stand willing to forgive those who need it. It's very clear from verse 12. Now there's one more thing in this verse that's very puzzling. I don't know if you've ever think about, thought about it. Why does Jesus ask us to pray this year in 2020? Why is he saying, pray like this, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our debts, forgive us of our sins. Now think about it. When Jesus died, he paid the price for your sins. When you became converted, became a Christian, reborn, regenerated, the Holy Spirit came in and he applied the work of Jesus on your behalf. In other words, you have already been forgiven of your sins, all your past ones, all your future ones, by the death of Jesus. Holy Spirit makes that work in you, right? So knowing that you've already been forgiven... Why does Jesus say, this year you need to turn and say, God, forgive me of my sins. It'd be like me praying, God, let Duke win in basketball at Miami by 30 points. They played yesterday. Let them win. That'd be a silly prayer. They already beat Miami by 30 points. I wouldn't pray that today. It's already happened. Why? Would Jesus say, pray to God to forgive your sin? Here's an answer. Comes from Professor Trevin Wax. He answers it this way. The reason we are to pray for our own forgiveness after it's happened is that the prayer itself reminds us of our identity. And here's our identity. We are people called and chosen by God to execute his forgiveness into everyday life. You pray this forgiveness prayer to remind yourself of who you are in front of God as you're experiencing him. You're a person called and chosen by God to execute Christ's forgiveness in everyday life. We should be breathing in and out forgiveness like air. Man, that's good. Not mine. I wish I'd come up with that. 
We should be breathing forgiveness in and out like air. I don't know if you've ever tried any physical activity like running, swimming, CrossFit, weightlifting, martial arts, any of that active stuff that people do. Not me so much, but I do know this. If you ever work with somebody, let's say weightlifting, first thing they do when they lift away for the first time, they all do this. They all hold their breath, right? Try to teach somebody how to swim a long distance. They're all like, okay. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to breathe. Swimming, you turn your head this way, you breathe in, you breathe out your nose as you're doing this. Weightlifting, you push out when you go up, and you breathe in when you come down. You're supposed to breathe. That gives you your strength. It gives you your power. You don't hold your breath, but some of us are holding our breath spiritually, making yourself weaker, more importantly, losing your identity as a Christian, a Christian, when you forbid forgiveness of someone who's done you wrong and is in need of forgiveness, standing there repentant, and you will not forgive them. Don't hold your breath. Here's my encouragement as you pray. Breathe forgiveness like air. Release your prisoners. One more. Number eight. Comes from verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Pray negatively. Pray negatively. Tell you where I get that. Verse 13 says this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's curious to me when I was reading this, why does Jesus wrap this up so negatively? Instead of saying, lead us not into temptation, why didn't he say, lead us to righteousness or point us to glory? Maybe that's the way I would have said it. That's not the way he said it. Instead of deliver us from evil, which is so negative, why not say, deliver us to goodness or carry us across to a sea of peace? That'd be more chipper. But what it wouldn't do, it would not remind you that you're in a battle. I think Jesus wants you to know you have a very real adversary. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. You know where temptation and evil first come up in the book of Matthew? It's not chapter 6, it's chapter 4. Remember chapter 4? You have the showdown. Jesus led into the desert to face Satan himself. Satan trying to take him down. Jesus ultimately proves victorious. But along the way, how does Jesus combat Satan? Has a couple of negative statements, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, Satan. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, devil. That's how you talk when you're in a fight with the enemy. Talk like you mean it. Negative way. I read this week. The movie Rise of Skywalker. I haven't seen it, but like to. Know how much it earned in the first six days domestically? 
259 million. Not so bad. Internationally, 516 million. Star Wars franchise introduced us to one of the all-time great villains in Darth Vader, the personification of evil. And you might remember like I do, the movie Empire Strikes Back, the iconic scene between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. Remember how that goes? He's out on the plank. Yeah, cover your ears. This is a spoiler (laughs) from 30 years ago. (laughs) Somebody over there doing this. That wasn't in the first service. I'm going for it. So, Darth Vader, he's there with Luke Skywalker, and he reveals, I'm the big evil guy. And then he drops the hammer. He says, I'm also your daddy. I am your father. Now, remember how Luke responds? I'll never join you, right? No, no, that's not true. I'm reading from the script. That's not true. No, no. Why does he respond that way? It's adversarial language. It's get out of my face type of language. That's how Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Fighting words. In chapter 6, Jesus focuses on the negatives of temptation and evil so that we won't forget the reality. This is in the prayer so you understand Satan is real. Satan is real. Satan is real. His to-do list today is to kill your faith. Cut down the kingdom, take you down with it. That's his agenda. Somebody comes at you with that agenda, you don't come back soft. You come back with some strong, not prayers, right? Lead me not into anger when I parent. Let us not oppress the weak and the refugees. May I not lust on my screen today. Lead me not to believe my worth is in my body image or how great a mom I am. That's how you fight Satan. And you pray God delivers from all evil. Sweep it off. Evil's real, but get this. Matthew 4 teaches us, as we pray, Jesus would have you remember one thing. Jesus is the champ of Satan, okay? Remember that. The devil is powerful, but the strong man has bound him. This prayer isn't just one of an epic war. It's of a victorious conquest. Jesus has won the fight. We pray to him to come and to help and to empower and to defeat Satan finally. So that's my encouragement to you. As you pray in 2020, pray actively, specifically, negatively against temptation, against Satan's evil. 
And we're going to pray here together. Take the Lord's Supper. Earlier this morning, I got a text as I was praying. I got a text. I want to pray for the text because it was somebody who was hurting and they said, would you pray for me? I said, yes, we're going to pray for you in church. So you may have noticed when you came in today, there wasn't the usual coffee set up. That's because Kathy Taylor is not able to be with us because her son has gotten sick and she's traveling to California to be with him. Last night he had some abdominal chest pains. He's got some bleeding on the inside. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how this will end. But it's in these moments that we reach out to God. We don't solve problems in these moments, okay? We call out to God and say, come and help. Come and help. And that's what we're going to do now. Together after that, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Pray with me. God, we we pray then like this. You are our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not, lead us not, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And oh God, be with Matt Taylor as He's in the hospital and they're prepping for surgery like only you can. Be his father. His father can't be with him, but his father can be with him when you show up. Be his everything by your spirit. Show him the glory of Jesus. Be near to him. Heal him. Heal him for your glory. Be with Quan, his wife, as she struggles to understand this and just be with him. And God, I pray for my sister Kathy. I'm talking to her. She's handling this full of faith, but I pray that you're with her. Be near to her, God, as a present father. Be her rock, her refuge, and a present help in time of trouble. Mountains are shaking. The waters are roaring. Foam. Let her not fear because of what Christ has done. And come, just comfort her. Come around her. Hug her. Be a dear father to her in this moment. God, be with us all as we go today. May we call out to you to be rescued. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.